0: I'm Bob Schieffer. And I'm Andrew Schwartz. And these are conversations about the news. We are in the midst of a communications revolution. We have access to more information than any people in history. But are we more informed or just overwhelmed by so much information we can't process it? These
1: conversations are a year-long collaboration of the Bob Schieffer College of Communication at Texas Christian University and the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington.
0: Elizabeth Muebiller, the Washington bureau chief for the New York Times, joins us today after college at Northwestern and a graduate degree from Columbia. She started her career at the Miami Herald, came to Washington as a party reporter for the Washington Post style section, which is a great way, I must say, to learn Washington. Uh, She married uh, New York Times foreign correspondent Steve Wiseman. She's lived in India and Japan uh, while there, continued to work for the Post, Uh, Wrote her first book along the way, came back to New York, where she joined the Times in 1995, and covered City Hall. In 2001, she became the Times White House correspondent in Washington, went on to cover the McCain campaign, wrote a book about uh, Bush Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, covered the Pentagon from 2008 to 2013, became a news editor in the Bureau, and then in 2015, was named the Bureau Chief. I have to take a breath, Elizabeth, just to uh, run through all that. Uh, but you certainly haven't slowed down anywhere along the way. And my guess is you're not going to be slowing down anytime soon. No. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the New York Times doing to prepare to cover this very new and different president?
2: Well, we've, uh, we've greatly increased our White House correspondence, for starters. We went from four to six uh, it's a fantastic lineup. It's Peter Baker, Glenn Thrush, Julie Davis, Mike Shear, Mark Landler, Maggie Haberman. Who have I left out? I think that's it. Is that six? Anyway, um, they have, we, I think we, they have maybe a hundred years of experience between all of them. Peter's covered uh, three different White Houses. Um, Glenn Thrush uh, we just hired from Politico and so the, Which is a real steal. Yeah, it's a, yeah, great. And Landler has covered the Obama White House, has written a book about Obama and Hillary Clinton, Julie, they all have a lot of experience. They're tough, fast, really smart reporters, great writers. Um, and Maggie Haberman will be in New York but uh, what we call White House North, we expect that uh, Donald Trump will spend a fair amount of time at Trump Tower even after becoming president. Many weekends there, we're expecting. So um, it is as you, I'm sure you've all seen the scene in Trump Tower. Uh, you know, people come and go through that lobby, and a, a lot happens in that lobby, and it unfolds upstairs. So we're we're increasing. Uh, we're at full mobilization, I would say, in the Washington bureau. There's about 80 people in the bureau. Uh, just a few blocks from the White House, um, about 50 of them uh, report to the Washington Bureau as editors and reporters, and we're we're adding reporters. Um, This is a full-time, 24-7 White House and administration. I was going to
0: suggest that uh, whoever you put on the lobster uh, yes. The overnight beat may get the uh, that might be the prime thing because they'll get the tweets.
2: Well, we have what we've done is uh, we now have an editor up at six a.m., you know, fully caffeinated in the chair next to the computer at home, to be honest. He doesn't come to the office at that hour. And we have a reporter on duty starting at 6, a White House reporter because, as we've seen, uh, the president-elect starts tweeting usually about 6.15 if he feels like it. Sometimes earlier this morning there were five tweets between 6 and 7, actually five tweets between 6 and 6.30. You know, our readers say, why are you you paying attention to these? Can't you just ignore him? He's the president-elect of the United States. He's about to become president. And we look at the tweets just like we look at White House press releases, which are of, of another era, right? We evaluate them. Some of them we ignore. Some of them we realize are news. And this morning, uh, Donald Trump, you know, said Hillary Clinton was guilty as hell, uh, revisiting a, a line from the campaign. We uh, so we what we do with that is we Jonathan Wiseman, who's our fabulous transition briefing editor, who will be you know who'll become the editor of the inaugural briefing and then the White House briefing. We have a running. Um, uh, feature online, and uh, Jonathan takes those from reporters, writes them very quickly, takes in other items from reporters because things unfold very quickly, and we put that online, and it's uh, we found that it's extremely popular with readers.
0: How many newsletters as it were are you now putting out because I know uh, at the Washington Post that's a big part they they're not just a newspaper anymore they're a media company right certainly the Times is doing the same thing are you putting more emphasis now on your digital product than you are on the what comes in the paper newspaper well
2: we're putting a lot of emphasis on both the growth of course is in digital because right now our digital audience is uh, daily 1.8 Five or six million, and this uh, the audience for the for print is uh, about six seven hundred thousand. I, those are more or less the right figures. So you can see the difference, right? I mean, today uh, t- together it's a huge amount of readership. But um, but we are, you know, in a very competitive environment and we certainly put put our huge amount, of, we are putting enormous amounts of energy in digital because that's where the growth is. On the other hand, we do not want to abandon our print readers. They're very loyal. They spend an enormous amount of money for the paper every year. And uh, we are, uh, we're doing some special things for them. You'll see some special sections.
0: I, I ask uh, Jerry Saib you're Opposite number at the Wall Street Journal. How many platforms uh, is he now providing information for? And we counted it up, and he said maybe seven, seven right. different platforms. Well, and I would guess you're somewhere in that. Neighborhood. Right. Well,
2: we well, it depends what you mean by uh, you know, we provide for for uh, the website for mobile and for, mobile is the phone. I mean, the, the, again, the, the the huge growth is on the phone, and so um, but you know we'll write a story. Um, for, web, for the web, and it goes onto the homepage, and it goes onto the phone, you know, it, it goes, plus there is, there are newsletters, but we have found that the, the, the big growth is in, um, how do I, expl- you know, these briefings, we call them briefings, but they're basically running online um, updates on what is happening in Trump world that day, or this week, what's happening on the Hill uh, in the hearings, the confirmation hearings. I mean, there was a, when, what day was it? It was Wednesday. Wednesday was the Trump press conference in New York, right? So that day we had a running, running live chat, which is a chat with reporters, and they 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 say, "Hey, that's an interesting thing the president-elect just said." That is running live. We had a running um, transition briefing, which was, you know, nuggets from the press conference, and we had a running live hearing briefing, which was running uh, updates from uh, a number of confirmation hearings on the Hill. I mean, it was like a three ring circus. This is a newspaper. It's what used to be a newspaper. It's now, as you point out, a media company. And it's almost like you need a director in the middle of the newsroom when all this is going on. And then at the end of the day, we take a big deep breath and we, we uh, prepare for the print product. Let's bring
1: in Andrew. Th- thanks, Bob and Elizabeth. It- it's great to be here with you. I get to pal around with your husband, Steve Weissman, who's one of my heroes and mentors all the time, and so and a
2: former Times White House correspondent. And a former Times <laughs>
1: White House correspondent, and you know, and of course, I've worked with both of you for years. You mentioned before we even came on the podcast that people who used to cover the White House, you know, almost can't believe that there's now six. Right people covering the White House now and what, what did you say to them when?
2: well I I sent out an announcement saying this is our new White House team and it you know it it, it um, a, a number of the former White House correspondents from the times you go back to the Lyndon Johnson era uh, you know I heard from some of them one of them said six in my day we had two you know and <laughs> I said and I responded I said have you ever heard of something called the internet you know uh, right. you know in those days and we all remember them uh, you would write once a day. You you would you know roll into the office at 10, 10, 30, 11, you know, uh, see what was happening. There would be a noon meeting in New York with all the, noon, that the editors would meet for the first time at noon that day to discuss the upcoming stories. You'd start organizing. You'd do some reporting. You'd start organizing your thoughts about 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock. You'd start writing for a 6, 7 PM deadline, and that was it. Then you'd go out and have a drink with your colleagues and you know, roll on the next day. Those days are way over.
1: So how many times is a, a White House correspondent writing, or filing per day?
2: Depends. We're setting up a system where we're going to have, t- uh, if you're on duty, if it's your duty day, that's how we're going to organize this. Because now with the Trump tweets at 6 a.m. and they could go until 11 or midnight, uh, we're going to have two people on each day because you can't work 18 hours straight. We were doing that for a while in the beginning when we weren't aware of how this was going to unfold. I mean, we had poor Mike Shear. I think he worked from 6 a.m. to midnight or 1 a.m. and then began the next day. You can't do that to anybody. So the idea is we're going to have two people on each day, the morning shift shift and the evening shift, And then the other uh, four will be—they're not going to have to file every minute. They will be working on longer-range stories, the kind of distinctive stories that, you know, we hope to present to readers, Uh, deeper reporting. Uh, We're going to have an investigative team. We have one already uh, that will go into uh, all aspects of the new administration, looking at, you know, uh, business ties of, of the administration, uh, many other things.
1: Well, deeper reporting is is interesting, but also you mentioned something I wanted to touch on. You talked about the Times now doing um, briefings, mm-hmm. and briefings really, are, what, what are briefings? Explain well, to our, our readers what briefings are. They're br- running... you what
2: know, it's, the, it's the terminology now, but it's basically, I hate to use the word blog as we got away from blogs, so but basically a briefing is a running story online that is updated as much as every five or 10 minutes, just you know, like we did the, the Rex Tillerson uh, uh, confirmation hearing for Secretary of State, and we had two reporters. We had David Sanger uh, in the office, and we had Matt Flegenheimer, one of our congressional correspondents, in the room. And they were filing just updates whenever um, Mr. Tillerson said something that there was newsworthy or of interest that he would su- uh, support the Iran deal, uh, which is what Trump has said he would not do. Uh, when he talked about uh, Exxon lobbying, he's the former CEO of, of ExxonMobil. Um, you know, whenever there was a news nugget that was interesting, one of that, neither David or Matt would write 100 words, 200, 300 words, actually 300 is long, maybe 100, 200 words and send that to an editor to be quickly edited, and then it would be posted at the top of, of the briefing. So if you're interested, you could check in and see how things were going in the hearing.
0: You know, I'm very pleased to hear you say they do this and send it to an editor. Yes,
2: no, no, no. That even David Sanger is edited, yes. <laughs> oh, but <laughs> but, but yeah. as you
0: well know, Elizabeth, that is no longer the case. No, we... A, we at we, some publications. No, we,
2: we uh, at the Times, uh, a number of eyes see each thing that every piece of journalism that that goes up. It doesn't go up. Reporters do not post themselves.
1: Your late colleague, David Carr, wrote a column a few years ago about newsletters, Right. about how they were so old that they're new, and that the busiest people out there really-
2: These are are the ones that get emailed out.
1: These are the newsletters, the email newsletters that get emailed out into Mm -hmm. your inbox. Um, in the morning, right. periodically during the day, you sign up for them. Right. Um, and the Times and other places have made very effective use right. of these right. newsletters. Why do you think that form of delivering the news is so effective?
2: Well, um, we actually don't have, to be honest with you, we don't have uh, a Washington newsletter that gets emailed. It's, it's, it's not a huge audience, I'll be honest with you. It's called First Draft. And people like it. But what we, and but what we have found, I mean, I think it's convenient for people, but what we have found is that there are so many Washington newsletters now in Washington, you know, Playbook, you know all of them, uh, that we just find that we get, um, there's a lot more readership on on these live briefings that are on, you know, that you go to um, on the homepage or on your phone and to check in. Uh, but I think uh, they're very effective because they're convenient and uh, you don't have to think; it just comes to you, and you open it up. Um, but there's a lot of competition right now with newsletters. We have, and so.
1: Do you see the the, the briefings as the evolution of what newsletters were maybe a couple years ago?
2: Yeah, I think that's what we've found that the briefings are, are read a lot, reach a lot more people, and. We can tell who's reading them. We can tell who reads what now. And the briefings have a much larger audience. these these running running stories on the web where and and also because the uh, of the graphics now and the design on the web, they look really good. They're very inviting. Uh, we can do lots of we can embed video with them. We can embed a lot of photos. I mean, it's just they're they they look they look really good on top of everything else. Again, they pull you in. And it's just a way for busy people in Washington or anywhere in the world, actually, just to check in to see, OK, here's what's happening. And then what we've done, too, is at the, as as the day progresses, we've done 10 takeaways from three different confirmation hearings on the Hill. We now know that was like the most popular thing we did on uh, Wednesday, which was the 10 takeaways from all these hearings. Um, you know, uh, at the end of the day, we pull together a traditional newspaper story. People read that, too. But during the day, you check in this way. And by the way, we also know that one form of the story, like the briefing, can be doing really well at the top of Google search, Google News, right? The other 10 takeaways can be doing re- really well on Facebook. So we spread it around everywhere.
1: I think one other thing that you learned um, in this last year is the power of transcripts.
2: Yes. The transcript of the Trump briefing of the Trump press conference did really well. And the transcript
1: of David and Maggie's interview.
2: Oh, right. Of course. That did really well. Now what we're starting to do is sort of annotate transcripts. You know, a reporter who knows something will weigh in and say when he's actually here, this is interesting what he's saying here. I mean, there's all these different things we can do with the design now. And and again, some of it does run in print at the end of the day. It doesn't doesn't look quite the same. We're trying to get it to look a little better in print. That's another evolution. But um, anyway.
0: Let's, let's talk about Trump's first news conference as, as president-elect, which I, I think was really kind of a curtain-raiser for all of us, kind of a preview, I, I right. would say, of, of what, what we're going to expect. CNN had broken the story about this information that had been given uh, right. to the uh, by the intelligence uh, chiefs to Mr. Trump. Uh, the Times followed up on that, obviously. Uh But the interesting thing was that when BuzzFeed decided to publish the documents in question, CNN was very, very careful not to go into detail about what some of these unsubstantiated uh, allegations were. I guess the question I would ask you, would the Times have published that story had CNN not broken it? Would you? Because I know you had the information.
2: What we didn't have was the fact that it had been presented to the president and the president-elect, we did. Mm-hmm. That's what we didn't have, and once um, we once CNN broke that, the thinking was that we thought that well, it's now news. I mean, the fact that this unsubst- this summary of this unsubstantiated these unsubstantiated memos made it into uh, as a, as an appendix into the briefing that was given to the president of the United States and the president-elect, we just that's that changes things. That that's what. And then yeah. and it,
0: it became a legitimate news story. Right. And I, I, would right. Certainly, right. I would certainly agree. The interesting thing was that minutes after CNN, of course, broke that story, then BuzzFeed uh, decided to go ahead and, and just publish the document itself, right. admitting that many of the uh, uh, allegations in it were unsubstantiated and might, in fact, uh, be wrong. Ben Smith, who's a good journalist, and a lot of us respect Ben's work, uh, said, you know, we have always erred on the side of publishing when there's a doubt. Uh, Margaret Sullivan, the uh, media writer for the uh, Washington Post, said she follows a different standard, that is, when in doubt, leave it out, which I would think is probably the Times
2: Well, this was a decision philosophy. made by right, Dean, ba- this was above my pay grade, but Dean Vaque, the executive editor, said we're not publishing the documents. What we did do was, after some discussion, we did um very briefly summarize some of what was in the documents because we felt that it was it, it was leaving readers in the dark, not even to address the general idea of what was in them, which was, as we all know, reports of Trump with prostitutes at a Moscow hotel and uh, uh, attempts unsubstantiated attempts to try and uh, uh, entice him with business deals and so forth. And we did. Scott Shane is a uh, marvelous writer who wrote the p- piece and uh, was very careful just to just to summarize in the th- sort of three short sentences what was in there.
0: But I, I, I found it interesting today when your your media writer uh, Jimmy Ruddenberg uh, wrote, <clears throat> and he was talking about the way that Trump had conflated the BuzzFeed report and the CNN right. report and and more or less alleged that CNN was right. the one who who had broken it And Ruttenberg said uh, the news media remains an unwitting accomplice to its own d- diminishment as it fails to get a handle on how to cover this new and wholly unprecedented president and I thought that that pretty much hit the mark we're
2: in the uh, we're actually just before I came over here we're uh, going to be having a conversation with uh, Dean Baquet and the White and the Washington Bureau—we're going to all have a conversation next week about how we handle press conferences, because there was some talk. I'm sure, I, you know, I'm sure you've seen around that maybe uh, the White House correspondents—and this is something the White House Correspondents' Association should decide—is whether the after something like that happens, should there be a, um, a a general sense that the next reporter should ask the same question you know that there should be a banding together I don't know it's very hard as you know to corral reporters together but um, there's been some talk about that and 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 you know what should the times do in that situation we haven't we haven't come up with but anything. to the
0: basic question uh did Ben Smith err in printing that
2: you know I'm not gonna you know, I'm not gonna um it, they he did what was right for BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed is a different is a different media organization than the New York Times But the
0: Times would not have published it.
2: No, no, that was no because it was um, again, where it's a different we're a different organization and it's just um, uh, We went as far as we were comfortable going
0: How do you report? Um, the way Donald Trump handled this I mean uh, you say that uh, when he refused to take a question from the the CNN reporter. I mean, the fact is, uh, I guess the guy that's holding a news conference has a right to call on who he exactly. wants to. And, and
2: all presidents have done that in different yes. ways, right? They've ignored, they've ignored various correspondents they were angry at, and uh, uh, been curt with others. This is just a this is just a, a new extreme. That's what's what's happening here. And there was the shouting, the shouting match at one point. Uh, was you haven't I have never seen that.
0: Do you think journalism in general was damaged by that?
2: I wouldn't go so far as to say that I really wouldn't. Um, I think it's a bad idea to get into a shouting match with whoever for a journalist whoever is the person at the press conference getting into a shouting match with um, <laughs> the principal is a bad idea because we never look good doing that. You know how that is when in just in interviews with 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 somebody. My general
0: um, advice to reporters uh, on this this uh, situation is just keep asking questions.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I think the question is our greatest weapon, or right. our greatest tool, and uh, you keep asking it, and and after a while, sometimes a non-answer becomes an answer. I remember during the uh, during the previous campaign with Mitt Romney, uh, I asked him five times uh, to give his uh, position on on immigration and that became that's what the Times led with when they wrote right. an account of that that interview I had with him and uh, uh, I think uh, for reporters we have to remember that uh, when people don't answer the question uh, the people who are reading these stories who are watching right. them on television they're not stupid
2: right I mean I remember they this, know when they're evading you know the it's question. just you know you've long been in the television business and I haven't been but But I learned, you know, it's really hard on live television to do that. I learned the hard way. I was a moder, I was one of the questioners in a one of the last Democratic primary debate in the presidential campaign in 2004, when um, it was John Kerry, John Edwards, and a whole group of people, and uh, we had been told it was it was Dan Rather was one of the was one of the questioners. And we had been told, we did this run through, and we had been told that um, uh, it was, uh, it, we were very boring. You know, that we had, this, this was New York, we had to do something. It could not be another boring debate, you know. And so they encouraged us to interrupt and break in. And so when the real debate happened, uh, that's what I did. You know, I broke in, I interrupted the various candidates and, and, and uh, I was excoriated afterward for my, for being rude. And I realized then something that you know instinctively from being in television, that you just can't do that because it becomes about the journalist and not about the interview, you know. And it's really hard in a uh, in a live interview to do that. You know, as when you're a print journalist, you can't actually interrupt people and say, wait a minute and stuff. But on, tel- on live television, bad idea.
1: Bob, when you were doing interviews every Sunday, you often made yourself disappear in a way. Because that you are making the subject really the front and center.
0: Well, I, I, I always thought that the reason a successful interview on television is not about what the moderator does or, or right. the questioner does. It's about the answers you get. Right. I mean, it, it, it's no different than doing a newspaper uh, interview. You're trying to find some news. You're trying to move the story forward. As Elizabeth said, you know, it goes all the way back to, to the Kennedy assassination, which I guess was one of my first big stories. That was the first time that the American people saw how news is gathered. You know, they were used to seeing journalism's finished product, the the edited story that appeared in the paper, the edited mm-hmm. story that appeared on television. And suddenly they discovered, that oh, hey, this is not all that... Uh, it gets a little loud, and people are pushing and shoving, and uh, I, it probably hurt journalism. Uh, and and to some extent, I think uh, we're still feeling the impact of that. But it took people a while now. I mean, we anything goes, and we see all of this stuff, as we saw at this Trump news conference, uh, and, and people have become used to it. But it was a little jarring for people to see the news actually being gathered, and you stop and think about it. That was the first time they'd actually seen it Uh, in real time how we get
2: you know just to defend my fellow journalists I thought they were really good tough questions asked at that Trump news conference let's not forget that they were the right questions and they people followed up and so I want to commend people for that I mean what's going to be remembered is the shouting match and Trump wagging his finger and saying you know you don't get a question and fake news and stuff but look at the look at the substance of the questions that were asked they were good and they generated news
0: Elizabeth, where do you come down on uh, correcting uh, false information Uh, at an interview? uh, Gerard Baker, the uh, editor of The Wall Street Journal, uh, created a little uh, comment recently when he said, uh, when he was asked by Chuck Todd uh, on Meet the Press, uh, should we brand these statements as lies? Uh, Is it uh, proper to call somebody a liar? What's the red line for the for the uh, New York Times on well, that?
2: Well, we did do that during the campaign. That was a decision by Dean Baquet to say it was a lie. It was a lie. I mean, I think you can certainly say without question this was false. You know, lie. you know, we, using the word lie means that there was deliberate intent to tell you something wrong and. You know, in many cases, you don't actually know if the person is just uninformed or deliberately lying. So there's there is that, but um, what we do is um, with the tweets, and we we're we beginning to run a uh, we're we're gearing up as quickly as we can a sort of a tweet fact check. So with every tweet, we did this during the um, we did this recently where w- during the press conference where uh, there was a fact check running and. We would put something up that Trump had said, and then we would have our experts weighing in and saying, which our report, reporters saying, actually that's not true, or actually here's the it's somewhat true, or actually it's a close but completely out of the, in the wrong context. So, and we I was really I, I mean I was really impressed. We had an editor running it in New York mm-hmm. did a fantastic job, and we have all of our you know a lot of our people in the Washington bureau who are experts in national security and domestic policy, and it was. I was really pleased with it.
0: And what about uh, this whole business, this uh, so-called post-truth era uh, that we're in now? And uh, where, you know, some of the uh, Trump surrogates uh, said, you know, where we made our mistake during the campaign and the coverage was while Trump supporters took him seriously, they didn't always take him literally.
2: Yes. well and
0: uh, do, do do are we into an era now where we will quote a new source and then put in parentheses but we don't think he really
2: meant that part of it well we are not the New York Times deals with facts as much as we can I mean as as, as we know them you know uh, of course we're not gonna well, I remember that and I thought who who you know that was a revelation to me that they'd know when he really took him seriously but we're obligated to. We, sure. we are we're a, this is a serious newspaper we are you know the president-elect says something what are we you know we assume he's he means it so no we took him seriously
1: let, let, let's go back to the times itself for a second um, The Times has done a number of internal audits over the past couple of years how do you think the Times is adjusting to the new digital era
2: uh, we're uh, we're adjusting as fast as we can and rapidly that um there was the there was the report a few years ago by by uh, uh, AG Sulzberger that we were behind i would like to tell you firsthand we have much to do but we have really moved fast and i feel like we are leading the way in a number of cases um, i can't tell you the change that's happened in my life and in the life of the washington bureau in the last year or two it's been very very rapid and you know one thing we see is the 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 big growth in digital readership um, and digital subscriptions. I think we're doing quite well.
1: What are some of the ways that, that, Reporters who have covered, you know, who've worked for the Times for a long time, and they've been primarily print, and they're they've been primarily oriented towards page one. How are they adjusting their mindset in this new digital landscape? Well, it's,
2: when you, now that we know how many people we can, you can click on your story now in the office and see how many people have read it. It's a pretty powerful motivator. At one hand, it's it's you know you don't you don't want to focus too much on. On uh, readers, sh- on on audience and hits and stuff, because uh, we publish a lot of very serious journalism, and it doesn't if it doesn't get the same amount of attention that the the video on Marilyn Monroe gets this morning. Uh, that doesn't mean it's you know we value it less. And the good news is, is a lot of our really serious journalism that is six, seven, eight thousand words long. People are reading it. Some of our biggest audience numbers are for that kind of journalism. Two million, for example. And
1: they're even reading it on their phones.
2: They're reading on their phones, which is amazing. You know, uh, we this our the, the big investigation we did a few years ago into SEAL Team Six, that was one of the you saw that was about two million, and people read it on the phone. And you know, we didn't know before how many people read each story. Now we know. So people are adjusting. I would say that every reporter in the Washington bureau. Um, I can't speak for New York, but I'm sure it's the case in New York as well, is completely um, uh, with the program on on digital, because we just know the readership now, you know. I mean, there's still people who, of course, reporters still want A1 stories. It matters, I'll tell you, it matters internally a lot. You know, if your story is one of the five or six that gets on the front page every day. But it is just so much less important than it used to be internally. Um, You know, people still like to be on page one on Sunday. It's our biggest day. Um, They like to be on, the reporters like to be on page one for big historic days because those are the big pages that last, you know, the Trump inaugural and so forth. Um, But it's really changed. I think. Oh, and I have another. You know, you know, it's changed when David Sanger will call me, you know, from his desk and say, uh, "I, you know, I need this story in the. We got to get this story on the homepage. I, you know, it's not getting enough. Get it on the homepage. You know, it has to be at the top of the phone. So now there's lobbying for getting on the homepage. And actually, that's kind of. We're also finding out that it doesn't even matter as much as we once thought about being on the homepage because now if you get promoted through our social teams, our audience teams that that push the stories out, if you get it on Facebook, that is sometimes, that's actually far more powerful than being on page one.
0: All of the the new things that are happening uh, are great. But, you know, I think the the most important stories that the uh, Times did last year were the uh, two Long interviews at Sanger and Maggie Haberman. Did those were great. Those on Trump's great. foreign policy, I thought we got we found out more about Donald Trump in those two interviews, and that's just old-fashioned New York Times kind of reporting, the right. kind of stuff that we've always expected from the Times over the years. And then I must say, I thought David's uh, behind-the-scenes story and how many words was it when he did the. Uh, how the 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 hacking hacking. that
2: was that was eric lipton and scott shane and david uh that was six six, seven six to seven thousand words and we did that very i mean we i should they you know they wrote that very very quickly because we were nervous we we had planned it for like a week or two later at least two weeks later but um we got nervous it started leaking out and those guys worked around the clock. Uh, that weekend to get it to you
0: know to get it in. We knew there was something going on because uh, we were trying to get a, uh, David over to do a, a podcast I think with we us.
2: Had him, we wouldn't let him out <laughs> leave the office. And Andrew said, yeah. and
0: "I don't know what he's doing over there, but they're doing something." big. Yeah.
1: Well, and CSIS had photos of China um, weaponizing the islands in the South China Sea. Right. And I kept calling David, and I said, "Hey, you know, I think this is a pretty interesting story," and he said. Trust me, I'm working on something big right now. You'll understand if you can just wait another day. And that was, you know, it became apparent that it was a very big story he was working on. By the way, you have no idea how excited I am to know that he's calling you to lobby to get on the homepage. (laughs) That is a very important thing for Bob Schieffer and I to know.
0: It certainly is. Elizabeth, I know you're very, very busy, and we appreciate you coming uh, to talk with us. But uh, just uh, as kind of a wind-up part of this— what do you see as the uh, the biggest challenges uh, in in this coming year, and and what do you see as the challenges for journalism and Well,
2: overall? I think for the coming year, for Washington covering the Trump administration, it's just going to be aggressive, fair, aggressive, you know, fair but really aggressive coverage of, of all aspects of the administration. and it's 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 such a big story now. It's not just it's the White House, of course, but look at all the agencies and how much is going to change at the agencies. We think at EPA and education, you know, um, at uh, the pen I mean, these are, you know, a- agencies that, that we haven't always paid a huge amount of attention to in the past. There's just—it's going to be—if we take them at their word, it's going to com- be a complete uh, uh, turning upside down of what the Obama administration did. So that, just keeping track of that, also keeping abreast of— um, the present Trump's business businesses, and his presidency. He said at the press conference he's going to be able to do both, you know, and keeping track of his of his family's business ties. Um, that is a big deal. And then of course we're gonna, you know, there's a lot of unanswered questions about the Russian hacking, and those. That committee will continue on the Hill. There's been call for it called for a select committee. I don't know, but that that is not going to go away. So we need to keep keep an eye on that.
0: Can you recall an atmosphere as a new president and a new administration came to Washington quite like the atmosphere that I sense right now?
2: No, um, I think first of all. The, there was a Pew poll recently that said there's two things here. One is that uh, you know the, the Pew, a Pew poll recently showed that he had a 37 percent approval rating, uh, which uh, I believe is uh, among the lowest, if not the lowest, since the polling started in the 30s 1930s for a new president coming, and normally presidents come in on a wave of popularity. So that and I, he is he is uh, his popularity has certainly declined according to that poll among independents. So that, it sort of peaked after right, the election, but now so, it no seems so to be that, going back down. So that's a very <laughs> interesting dynamic, um, and the and President Obama is leaving with the sixty percent approval rating. So that's a dynamic we'll have to deal with, and then. Uh, but, again, it's just we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, any all of us who, you know, we all, everyone, including the, the, the Trump campaign, apparently thought that Hillary Clinton was going to win. And, we, we you know, everything that we thought was proven wrong. So I am now when I think, well, this is going to happen on the Hill with the Affordable Care Act, I have no idea what's going to happen. You can't, I mean, I, we were so wrong before. And, but I, the sense of, um, you know, all norms being gone Everything that we've been used to in Washington is over, and there's we just don't know. I mean, that's why his supporters love him. You know, he's going to blow the place up, right? That's what they want. So we're here to cover the explosions.
0: Well, Elizabeth Bumiller, we uh, thank you, and we're depending on you to get the answers <laughs> okay. to thank all of you. these thank things. Thank you for having me. As quickly me. as you can, by the <laughs> right, way.
2: Right. Thanks.
0: <laughs> for Andrew Schwartz, this is Bob Schieffer. Thanks for listening.
1: But that's not all, Bob. At the top of this podcast, we gave you just a tease of the great music from my friend Aaron Neville's new record, Apache. Let's hear some more from Aaron Neville.
3: world, everyone's in the path. And no one's safe from its mighty wrath. Tornadoes, earthquakes, and hurricanes. Forest fires, mudslides, torrential rain. Heat waves, floods, and blizzards, melting of polar ice. And if all that's not bad enough, Humans just won't play nice. There's so much beyond our control. But the things we do, we surely take toll. Like people committing suicide, just to take unsuspecting, innocent lives. Like medias falling from the skies, politicians telling lies. Like Marvin said, oil spilled all over our oceans and our seas. I agree with him For saying mercy, mercy me And want to know what's going on I'd like to know where the love has gone All over these united, divided states There's still so much fear, so much hate Will we ever get it together on this earth? We're all sisters and brothers Like Martin said We better live together as brothers and sisters or die together as fools. Stop filling our hearts with hatred, breaking all the rules. We're the high ups on the animal chain. Sometimes we just don't use our brains. Most animals kill for food. Man kills in his neighborhood. Nuclear threats all over the land. Man wants to annihilate other man. Tears the fear say. Everybody wants to rule the world. But it belongs to every woman, man, boy, and girl. See, we all have our right to share this land. It don't just belong to one man. I don't have all the answers. I don't think anybody does. There was a cure for cancer And a whole lot more love i say a prayer before I go to sleep And ask God for all our souls to keep Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. A fragile, fragile world That's all we got, y'all I just want to say peace on earth And goodwill to everything and everybody On this one and only planet Yeah, you're right